0: Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, we talk about cricket. Yes, you heard me right, we're talking about cricket today. In what may be the wildest sports story of the year, involving match-fixing and gambling, we are here to talk about the fake Indian Premier League. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Neckersov. And, John, how are you doing today?
1: Chad, I'm pretty good. We are uh, here to talk about match-fixing, which is uh, really in keeping with us Binge watching in tandem the uh, hit BBC show, Peaky Blinders, uh, which includes mm-hmm. lots of match fixing and lots of entertaining British gangsters simultaneously. Unfortunately, this story does not include 1920s British gangsters, or it would be even that much better. But uh, that would yeah, be I'm a not, much okay. better story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're just on the brain constantly right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm How enjoying are you? my Peaky Blinders. I'm, I'm 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 going through it a little bit slower than you are, but I'm enjoying it. Which is remarkable. We almost never say that about anything. Yeah. I am doing well. Uh, It would be remiss because my wife reminded me that I have not yet introduced the podcast audience to my second dog. Oh, Uh, that's true. And so I I, I should say that uh, Megan and I have adopted a rescue named Indy. We named him Indy. We don't know how old he is. We don't know exactly what kind of dog he is. He's a Chihuahua something mix. He's the exact same height and length as our first dog so they're very they're very compatible uh they're both a lot of fun and yeah so Crunchy tackles family uh maybe you can take to the instagrams and i'll post a picture of indy so you all can you know that would be that that would be lovely we would all we would all love that and chads who doesn't like mm. who doesn't like dog content john seriously Uh, exactly
1: i mean honestly i feel like we'd get a lot of social media traction if it was just pictures of your dogs i'm not gonna lie
0: which we could make that happen no, we really could
1: if, if you like bought like I don't know like maybe we like get pictures of your dogs wearing your jerseys on a daily basis oh that'd be great <laughs> that'd be so good the most like yuppie thing you guys could do would be buy jerseys for the dogs but I feel like that would that the prices would rise very quickly
0: yeah, I, I I'm surprised that Megan hasn't like bought them Washington Capitals like sweaters yet. I've honestly like been like, like waiting for it to happen. Maybe that'll be this winter that'll happen. I I've
1: expected it honestly. I do feel like I w- I will be a menace with Arsenal gear whenever I have a animal of any kind. I'm <laughs> that'll not even gonna. that will be a good day for us it, all. It'll be a good day for us all. I mean, maybe maybe Arsenal's fortunes will finally change. Which actually, brief side note. I am very excited for the Arsenal documentary that is coming out on Amazon very
0: shortly. I could honestly care less because the only soccer documentary I'll be watching this year is Welcome to Rexham, the one about the team that Ryan Reynolds owns <laughs> on Hulu. I obviously have so I could in, frankly instance, a little bit different. I could frankly care less about any other sports team's documentary, and that would mean that would include like if Manchester United had a documentary, I'd still rather watch Ryan Reynolds.
1: I guess the question is like, how involved is Ryan Reynolds in this documentary? Do we know?
0: He's like all over the trailer.
1: Oh, is he really? Okay, I need to yeah, watch. the Yeah, he's
0: all over it. Yeah,
1: I. Th- I mean, everyone loves Ryan Reynolds, so so I won't, I won't, I won't speak out against it. But I will be watching the Arsenal documentary just because I should.
0: I am contractually obligated. I, so you all can expect weekly Arsenal updates from John in the fall well, of this podcast. Really,
1: what we should do is is uh is discuss the Ryan Reynolds documentary when it comes out. We do need to okay, do that that'd be because it be is a cultural touchstone. I Ryan Reynolds so. getting involved in the soccer world is like the next Ted Lasso effect moment, so it's worth discussing. Well, Megan
0: and I are, are Megan and I are doing our Ted Lasso rewatch, and they even they make a joke about Ryan Reynolds owning Rexham and Ted Lasso. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember funny. that. So, yeah, yeah. John, speaking of uh, the content, we're going to do a brief, very brief pop culture segment here, uh, just to say that I went to see Nope the mm-hmm. Jordan Peele sci-fi horror, which was incredible. It was a, a brilliant movie. Uh, but before that, we talked last time on the podcast about the poster for Oppenheimer, and funny that we were like freaking out over literally just a still image. Well, mm-hmm. before Nope, after the credits, or after the opening trailers, but before the movie, they actually showed a teaser for Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few days later, I think yesterday, the day before, yeah. They released that trailer to the general public on Thursday of this past week. They introduced that trailer. So, yeah, it looks really cool. I, um, You know, we talked about Oppenheimer last time and how excited we are, but I wanted to say, first off, that Nope is awesome, but also that what we've seen of Oppenheimer also looks awesome.
1: I continue to be excited for this movie. I think I'm always interested to see what kind of time scheme Nolan comes up with for his movies. It's clear that some yeah. form of, of countdown will be uh, you know featuring prominently in this movie, which you know is to be expected again i I just all I can ask is that we give. Christopher Nolan the nuclear warhead he deserves for filming this, this
0: movie <laughs> I've started to see more more jokes yesterday about
1: I think this about is about Chris
0: like, Rinaldin's fascination with practical effects <laughs> I think this is a duty that the American public has to this man um, look if the American military could give Top Gun could give Paramount like a bunch of fighter jets for for Top Gun Maverick why can't they give Universal, just one measly old atomic bomb. I mean, yeah, it seems like a perfectly reasonable request to me. Um, And
1: in all seriousness, the other interesting thing was that you pointed out was a lot of the footage of this trailer was in black and white. Uh, And as far Mm -hmm. as I can tell, it seems like that black and white footage will feature prominently throughout the movie. Um, So I'm interested to see how they do that, because most movies these days are obviously not black and white. And I don't know if I've seen, like, aside from Schindler's List, a largely black and white movie made in the modern era.
0: The last really good one that I saw was the one that Denzel Washington was nominated for the Academy Award last year, which was The Tragedy of Macbeth on Apple TV. Um, Denzel Washington was nominated, the the year that Will Smith won this past year for, Mm for King Richard, Denzel Washington was nominated for Macbeth in Apple TV's Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, that's entirely in black and white oh interesting yeah that's the last time i saw it but yeah that will be interesting obviously i think because of the no pun intended explosive sub subject of this movie i think the contrast between black and white and color will probably be a prominent feature so that's that's kind of my thought on it
1: right yeah it'll be interesting to see how he ends up using it but regardless i am i am very excited for this movie and i think it's going to be interesting to see uh how it's box office numbers compared to the Barbie movie. That's mostly what I'm excited for next year. (laughs) We will have to wait and see a year from now. It'll be out. I'm just saying you never know. Genuinely like Nolan movies have a big box office, but if anything, like what happened with the rise of Gru, the Barbie movie could be a hit. We'll see. We'll see. I really, we, I really
0: hope not, but (laughs) I've seen so much internet traction with the Barbie movie though. I'm not going to lie. That's true. Yeah, I have too. I have too. But they haven't released any actual footage yet, which Oppenheimer's got a head start to this just generate true. that buzz. So, yeah, John, <laughs> lots of lots of sports stories I want to talk about. I don't know mm-hmm. if you had any to add to this list, but there's three I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, first Take off, away. Barcelona, who we did an entire podcast about a year we ago did. today, basically last summer. That was a good podcast. Their, yeah, their financial mm-hmm. issues, and they you know had to get let go of Lionel Messi. He went to Paris. And we were, you know, the conversation was like, is Barcelona going to collapse? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Barcelona has now somehow come into a lot of money where they have spent more money this summer than any other of Europe's top five leagues teams. Like Mm -hmm. they spent more money than any top team in Europe. But they're doing so. in I would say morally dubious ways, which is. They're buying players at the expense of players that they already have, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in the instance of their forward Frankie Frankie De Jong, who they signed a few years ago. Who they have essentially, first off, they haven't paid him all of his money. Like they owe him seventeen million dollars in deferred wages that they haven't paid him yet. But then, secondly, they're kind of they're trying to force him to leave. Mm-hmm. so that they can pay for these other players who they've bought but haven't been able to register to their, to their La Liga uh, roster because they can't afford to yet. Those players include Robert Lewandowski, Rafinha, Frank Kessier, Andres Christensen, and Jules Kunde. All those players are part of Barcelona but are not on the Premier League roster yet because in part of the wages that Frank De Jong is getting. And... Um, I know Jonathan Wilson has wrote about this for Sports Illustrated, but just the dubious nature of this in terms of just refusing to pay a current player so that you can bring in new players. I don't know. I don't know what you think about it. It, it seems, as someone who likes Barcelona, it seems really wrong to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's honestly, for the for the players who are, they're trying to force offload, I think it's honestly hilarious. And it it's just stay, just resist all <laughs> moves to make them leave just to continue to make the situation worse for Barcelona. Because it, it, yeah, it really, at first I was just like, I don't even know where they're getting the resources to even make these transfers in the first place. And they seem to be doing, you know, pretty smart business. But, you know, La Liga obviously has been helping them out a lot to make these deals happen uh, because it's in La Liga's interests to for both Real Madrid and Barcelona to be competitive with good players against the likes of Premier League teams and Bayern Munich and PSG um, and Barcelona being in bad financial circumstances means that or so we thought right means that more of that kind of they're trying to find more of those legal loopholes to make the situation better for Barcelona you know and I yeah I think you're right I think it just it it's a bad look for the club I think players who are like the, the fact that all these players are willing to sign for barcelona right now to me seems strange like it would give me pause to sign for barcelona right now given the way that they are running their system and honestly my hope is that they continue to perform badly so that there is you know changes that are
0: required in terms of the way the club is administrated because it's not a sustainable model at all no no it's certainly not i think the saddest part of it to me is that De Jong is the one who offered to defer his wages during the pandemic, mm-hmm. like out of his love for the team. You know, he he they he didn't have to let them defer his wages. He agreed to do so to like help them during their financial peril. And this is kind of how he's being treated, where he's being told to either leave or ri- write off the debt we owe you and take a substantial wage cut to stay because we want to buy all these other players. I mean, just think how remarkable
1: it is that they made basically their ultimate superstar like the face of Barcelona Lionel Messi leave last summer right yeah and now they're signing all of these players on enormous wage bills yet again and having you know basically sullied their reputation by making Messi leave and now are just trying to splash all the same cash over and over again i don't know it just it just doesn't it's not there. They've mismanaged things to the point where it's just they're making decisions, constant, constant short-term decisions, basically, as yeah. we talked about before. And I think I, I don't know. I have no, I have no love for the organization's current
0: management. They've spent over a hundred and forty million dollars in the transfer market this summer, but refused to pay a player that who's already on their roster seventeen million.
1: Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's when it's you know deferring COVID wages to like help. You know, like administration staff, yeah, to help the club get by. I don't know, like it, it is clearly taking advantage of your players. Like, obviously, we're talking about millions here, but like still, you know, these are players who clearly have a loyalty to your club, and who Mm -hmm. you're basically screwing over for your own financial gain. And you know, obviously, clubs want to make money, but but you know, it's a it's a symbiotic relationship with your players, and if your players don't. If you show that you're not actually bought into your players, my hope is that players will eventually stop buying into you. You know, but I
0: guess we'll see. Yeah, it seems like there's still That's a good a big way to pull. say it. Mm-hmm. At least they had this summer. Yeah, John. The the next thing on my list was we talked recently about the potential prisoner exchange with Brittany Griner in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned the name Victor Bout, who is the you know the merchant of death, the Russian arms dealer who targeted. You know Americans by giving weapons to people that he knew were going to try to kill Americans. Um, apparently that transfer has been at least initiated and has mm-hmm. been offered by the U.S. government. Um, Anthony Blinken announced that he has submitted an offer to Russia that would bring home mm-hmm. Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan in exchange for, I, know, I, I, I hate talking about this like it's like a sports trade, but in exchange for a package <laughs> that does include Victor Boot and I, you know, just wanted to follow up on that story because we talked about it a lot. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have any additional thoughts now that it has happened, versus when we were talking about it. My position is pretty much the same, which I think it's a. I don't think it's a, a fair trade for for us at all. I have a lot of hesitancy about you know letting that man back into the world.
1: Yeah, I think prisoner exchanges are always complicated, right? Because you you're balancing the desires of basically a rogue state, right, that, you know, has bargaining power over you, given that it has, you know, like, a relatively popular figure as a hostage, essentially, right now. You know, they're aware that they have bargaining power there because of, you know, American public opinion. And so, you know, they're going to obviously leverage that to the best of their advantage And in that circumstance. That means, you know, getting someone pretty... Bad out of jail, you know, that it's, um, it's a circumstance, you know, that happens in Israel every so often, right. When you have a a soldier that gets, um, that becomes a POW to like a terrorist organization, you know, and then at times, you know, you have to, you know, Israel has had to release like actual terrorists, you know, to make those prisoner exchanges happen, you know, and it's something you just kind of have to balance, I guess, in your mind and know like, I guess our value on human life sometimes, like on our own people's human life, you know, sometimes dictates that bad people are let back out into the world. So, it's, you know, it's a complicated calculus, but it is, it is like I do understand the reasoning. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, um, Dan Hoffman, who's a former CIA uh, operative who worked in Russia. He said that these are dirty deals, but there's two bad options. One is letting American citizens get sick and potentially even worse in Russian jail. And the other one is to make a dirty deal. If it's me, I'll get my U.S. citizens out, which right. is a – that's a totally fair perspective. The thing I mentioned the last time we talked about this is that to me it would make sense if, if you know, if, if, if Victor Boot was nearing the end of his sentence mm-hmm. um, and, you know, this is only going to, like, delay his release by a couple years – why that might be a reason why this might make more sense, but he served less than half of his sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sentenced to 25 years in 2011, which means that you know the U.S. if if we if if he stayed in prison, you know w- he would be off the streets, off of the international arms market until 2036, which is a a good thing. You know to not have that man uh, able to do what he's made his professional living doing but um it seems like this is an offer that you know has been made it hasn't been accepted yet but um it looks like this is going to happen and um yeah i don't i don't again i'm I'm conflicted by it because you obviously don't want any american citizen to be in that kind of situation but mm-hmm. it feels like it feels like russia is getting everything they wanted out of this and that's just hard to, to let happen
1: yeah yeah, it's unfortunate, obviously, that she got arrested in the first place. Um, but hopefully the situation will be resolved at some point soon. I guess we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about, John, in terms of current events is we've talked a lot about Live Golf, and we've talked about it mostly from the standpoint of the players who have decided to do it. We've talked a little bit about the media companies who may or may not um, you know, join with them. Most recently, Charles Barkley made a lot of headlines about his his potential going to be an analyst there. Mm -hmm. But something that's been a consistent theme on this podcast is when we hold our athletes to a higher standard than we hold other public figures, particularly politicians and particularly, you know, presidents of the United States. And um, this was a week that I had marked on my calendar because this weekend was the weekend that Liv Golf was gonna go to a Trump course. And it went to his Bedminster course in New Jersey, which Mm -hmm. is really, really close to New York City. I was thinking that based on the PR, Trump might sit this out and, you know, sit at Mar-a-Lago and not be part of this event, but I don't think he can help himself when he can make a headline. So he was there <laughs> doing the ceremonial tee shot, taking interviews, being involved in the whole thing. And the backdrop around this is the, the protests going on by families of 9-11 victims, because this mm-hmm. is, you know, very close to New York City. You know, many of the people who were part of the 9-11 terrorist attack were, were from Saudi Arabia. And so um, I was really disappointed to see Trump give an interview in which the question was asked directly about about what he would say to the 9-11 victims who are there protesting the fact that this event is going on. And in his answer to that question, he pivoted to his great relationship with Saudi Arabia and that they're just having a lot of fun on the course and that this is good for golf. Um, mm. So again, the same the same kind of just willing willing yourself into a state of ignorance that we talked about these athletes having, is also coming from the former president of the United States, and it's really disappointing. There there are actually two Trump golf courses on the live schedule this season, mm-hmm. um, one one here in the states, one in Scotland, and so yeah, just really disappointed to see that interview, to see this whole thing happen so close to. Where Saudi Arab, where where you know Saudi Arabian citizens took the lives of thousands of Americans, you know about two decades ago. Again, it 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 does the whole kind of sham, I guess,
1: of the of like pretending like we don't know what's going on with the Saudi government and its involvement in live to me from whoever it's coming from, whether Trump or Mickelson or. Any random, you know, PGA Tour golfer who goes over there in exchange for more money, you know, it remains just, I think, frustrating more than anything else. You know, it's not like I have, like, some kind of profound investment in the game of golf or anything, you know, but still, like, these are, you know, public figures who, as we've talked about in the athletic world, like, you can choose to be, you know, a socially responsible, like, role model, for society or choose to elevate money uh, in your own self-image above everything else. And I, you know, no matter what your standing is in athletics, when you choose to elevate your own self-interest above the interest of other people, I think it's just, it's just very obvious to everyone where your priorities are. Uh, And it's disappointing every time it happens, you know? Each time someone else says it, you know, it's still like and the fact that more and more people are still going over to live, you know, I, it, it, everything, this whole circumstance just keeps going back to those Mickelson quotes for me at the beginning of everything, you know, acknowledging the evils that Saudi Arabia has done and then just kind of pretending like they don't exist. Like, I don't understand how you could like be aware of those things, talk about them, And then basically continue to make the same decisions. It's just it's mind mind mind-boggling to me, and it's clear that it's just it's entirely it's just people taking money and then looking the other way.
0: Yeah, I I saw a tweet from Jay Nordlinger, who is a senior editor at the National Review. It's 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 a humorous tweet, but it's also quite profound. And it says the British Open has the Claret Jug, the PGA Championship has the Wanamaker Trophy. I believe the live tour should hand out the bone saw. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, again, people are gonna just continue to whitewash the fact that that's how Jamal Khashoggi was dismembered by the order of the Saudi Arabian government. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it really, it, it, it's it's still sometimes gonna be mind boggling that those people have been normalized back into our Western society in large part due to the, the acceptance of them during the Trump administration Continuing now with, you know, that fist bump between Biden and Mohammed bin Salman uh, just a few weeks ago and particularly with the existence of this tour.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing, I think, to discuss, you know, how our dipl- like how our country is running diplomatic relations with one of the largest, you know, powers in the Arabic world. N- you know, like we have to balance uh, national interests with uh, countries that don't have our national interests at heart right? Like Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. we know is a large sponsor of terrorism around the world. However, because there are certain strategic interests, you know, that align with Saudi Arabia that we have, we do kind of have to collaborate in certain ways to make sure that like a relative amount of peace is maintained in the Middle East. However, that does not mean that we're not aware of all the bad actions that Saudi Arabia is doing under the table and It definitely doesn't mean, you know, that just because there's a certain degree of collaboration that happens that Saudi Arabia should just be allowed to have a place in dictating, you know, our public discourse. And, you know, like, as we've discussed with sports washing many times, you know, basically just giving themselves a this this nice, happy image on the public stage that's just completely not
0: indicative of reality at all. Right. Yeah. The the, the the whole point of this is that there will come a day when you say the word Saudi Arabia and the word association that most Americans have is not Jamal Khashoggi, but becomes live. Right. And the more mainstreamed this tournament becomes, the more in bed with it, golfers, golf course owners like Trump, media rights people become with it. That's just the more likely that that is actually going to happen, which is exactly why the Saudi Arabian government is willing to pay billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's all I have on this. Um, Those are the stories that I wanted to talk about. John, if if there's anything else that comes to your mind, otherwise we can take a break and get to this really bizarre story on the other side. It's time for the main event. Okay, guys, we're gonna take a quick break here. When we come back, fake Indian cricket is coming up. And we are back on Crunching Tackles. And John, there are not enough superlatives to describe the story. This is a story about gambling and match fixing and literally a fake sports league in in India. and mm-hmm. I, do you want do you want to set the scene about the story? do you want me you you want me to kind of explain mm. what kind of happened here? why don't you why don't you set the scene and then I'll jump in? Okay. so the Indian Premier League is the the highest league in cricket. You know, it's uh, it's a very successful cricket league. It, it had you know, it's a domestic league where teams play each other. Cricket is a very decentralized sport. There isn't really a governing body internationally that governs cricket. Each country kind of sets their own rules in terms of league formats in most instances. So, a few months ago, the um, the official, the actual Indian cricket Premier League ended their season, but somehow this these games that were being branded as Indian Cricket Premier League were popping up on YouTube. And, um, you know, people who knew the sport well would know, oh, wait, that doesn't make sense. This, this league's supposed to have ended. But for many people who were either very casual cricket fans or just like to gamble on things, they saw this these YouTube streams popping up and decided to start betting on uh, these, 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 these matches. And what had happened was... As, as investigations by The Guardian and um, that kind of thing have come to light is that a group of men in India bought or rented out a farm and they built a cricket field and they got cameras and they got uh, someone who could impersonate one of the BBC commentators and they downloaded fan noise off of the internet and they hired actors to play the players and the umpires and they started playing these games and i this is one of the connections that i don't know very well but they had these specific towns in russia in mind um where they knew that they could get gambling from john can you explain how like how they kind mm-hmm. of knew that these russian towns were their their targeted market
1: right so essentially i don't know about the, about specific towns exactly but russian the russian betting scene Well, will We'll go into this a little bit later about why Russia and Chinese markets in particular are so susceptible to betting schemes like this, but Russian betters like Russian online betters are extremely likely to basically bet on random sports just all over the world and there was I believe an associate of one of the people who was running this scheme who lived in Russia uh, and was basically feeding information about the bets back to the people in India. And people were basically betting on these completely fabricated games through a Telegram channel, um, through the like social media slash messaging app. So the games, literally this entire league was essentially staged and built from the bottom up as a completely false representation of the actual Indian... Premier League with um, you know like the same jerseys and everything um, so it was specifically this whole league was specifically targeted at these Russian bettors in basically because they wouldn't know enough about the sport to know that the league was actually done so they just saw a sport that was there it was on the Telegram channel and then they would just be duped by the fact that it looked realistic enough that they would just all start betting on it and as far as I know, they got a decent amount of money out of it before they got shut down by
0: the Indian government, which is just tremendous. Yeah, so they were using real Indian Premier League team names. They mm-hmm. were using real replica jerseys, and they had uh, you know the cameras set up to make it look like a real game. They had real, yeah, uh, uh, real as in it was an actual person impersonating an actual commentator. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the crucial differences between uh, a fake cricket league and a real cricket league is that in real cricket the umpires the referees have walkie-talkies to inform them of you know like things like weather conditions and rule decisions and things like that but it but in the fake cricket league the umpires had a walkie-talkie uh telling them what outcome the game should have <laughs> because um they would be receiving these bets <clears throat> from russia in real time mm-hmm. on telegram and then they would be walkie-talkieing the umpires, who would then tell the players, the, these these act—they're not even athletes; they're actors. Mm-hmm. What kind of outcome this play should have? Whether they should hit a, hit a six, which is the equivalent of the home run. Whether they should pop out. Whether they—you know—whatever the outcome, these outcomes are being entirely artificially generated by the people setting up the gambling. So that, you know this is a quintessential example of match fixing, which we're going to get into a little bit later in terms of the outcome of the game being predetermined, but you're profiting off of it.
1: Mm -hmm. It's an even more extreme example, right? Because normally match fixing, you know, you obviously can't create like a fake, you know, English Premier League soccer game, you know, because you'd have, you know, 50, 70, 80,000 fans there. You know, it's being televised by major networks. But in this circumstance, it was low profile enough in that people... You know, you're preying on someone's knowledge base that you literally were able to create a controlled environment where you you It wasn't just that you were like bribing someone to throw a game You were able to control literally every outcome, which is tremendous and the only way they according to the New York Times The only way that this was actually even found out was that a local police officer noticed that there were like random games Happening in this town during like mornings and evenings with floodlights on and he was like, I wonder what's going on here and so like a you know a a team showed up to investigate and started realizing that there Essentially was a betting scam happening at these cricket matches quote-unquote Yeah, uh, and then managed to stop the league but like it they kind of just found it by chance
0: that this was even happening. Yeah By the time that they had been caught the um, the 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 people organizing this fake league had received uh, three hundred thousand Indian rupees,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which in India is almost a small fortune. In America, that's really that's only about four thousand dollars, a little oh, bit okay. less than four thousand yeah. dollars in mm-hmm. American money. So, it you know when you do the equation, that's actually not that much here, but that's a you know that's that's a small fortune in India. So, uh, really really fascinating. They they were shut down, mm-hmm. and they're you know again the, we're dealing with the vast Indian government here. So it's hard to find detailed information. They do know that at least some people have been arrested. Mm-hmm. They're not sure whether those are the actual organizers or some more mid-level management, but there are people in prison right now. There's an ongoing investigation and it, it's just a really, really fascinating story. Yeah,
1: and it, what's hilarious is so that all the like the the paid players, right, were basically just like farm hands and stuff that they hired on as actors. So none of them have been implicated in the scheme because they were just kind of bit part players. Uh, but you know, they've all been quoted as being, uh, not all of them, but they some of them have been quoted as being very happy with the outcome that <laughs> <laughs> they got muscles, got some extra money out of it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah they so did. So it's just a crazy, it's a crazy story that reminds me of. Um, of that one story. I guess it was last year, the high school football Bishop Sycamore team that was like a completely fabricated prep school. And that obviously was like entering a real competition against a real school. So it wasn't like a completely fake situation, but that that similarly felt like just another complete like sham moment where you're like, what on earth is going on here? I just find it surprising sometimes how honestly, just how creative some of these people are
0: (laughs) in their desire to just come up with these insane schemes. I I do wanna, I think we wanna talk about kind of the biggest examples of match fixing. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, this is like the quintessential definition of of, of match fixing, where where the entire thing is fixed. But um, most of the other examples that we're gonna talk about are more so individual actors, Mm -hmm. uh, not an entire league structure. But you know, individual players or referees um, engaging in match fixing. But the reason why I love this story is because this is the first top-down total fabrication, and they duped a bunch of Russians. And they, you know, I think you can still find some of the footage on YouTube uh, if you want to go look it up. Now. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, yeah, I love, I love this story. Obviously, feel bad for the for the Russians who got swindled out of some money. But in terms of just spectacle it is a phenomenal story. Yeah, no, it's remarkable. I think what's interesting
1: about this, about the world of, of match fixing, I guess, to me, as we, as we discuss that, I guess, is just how there's this whole, you know, the idea of competitive integrity is really important to sports, obviously, if there's any question about the competitive integrity of what's going on, you know, obviously that calls into question, like the whole, like suspension of disbelief that we have about sports, right? Cause we're there. You know, we only watch really because we believe that it is a fair competition; that both sets of players are trying their hardest to win. Um, otherwise, you know, there's not like if you show up to a pickup basketball game, right, and it's clear that one team just like it actually isn't trying. You know, like there's no you would just walk away. There's no point to watch it. It's not interesting. Right. Um, right. And so it's interesting to me to see this kind of whole underground world that, you know, we're never aware of unless it rises to the surface, um, where, you know, there's always like the potential that what we're watching and believing is completely fair competition is in fact not fair. And there's, you know, many examples, a few examples that we'll talk about and to also talk about how it actually happens obviously with this cricket league being like an extreme example of that. um, But it is, you know, anywhere where you have lots of money at stake,
0: there's always the potential for corruption, and that is very much true of yeah. sports. Yeah, John, I'm I'm the White Sox fan on the pod, so mm-hmm. the the example in American history of match fixing mm-hmm. is, is my my team, um, the 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 Black Sox scandal in the early 1900s involving uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson and some other players on the White Sox. They were in the World Series. And we may have talked about the story before, but it's it's worth rehashing again. They were in the World Series, and they were approached by, uh, you know, bookies and betting, uh, gambling fixers, um, and they were paid cash to intentionally throw the World Series. And when they agreed to do so, all of a sudden, you know, they started out as favorites, but the betting started switching toward the Reds. Um, the bookies were funneling their people to placing bets on the Cincinnati Reds after they had secured this commitment from the players to actually throw the World Series. One of the funny parts about it is that they uh, accident—well, they accidentally won game three mm-hmm. because uh, one player, a pitcher who was not in the know about this scandal just pitched a great game, you know, when you have one guy pitching well, there's not much the other team can do, uh, which actually caused a big problem with the, with the gamblers who were furious that they had won this game. But uh, obviously that pitcher, uh, Dick Kerr, was not involved in the scandal. This is the, 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 the American example of match fixing where a player, someone who has control, some, some level of control over the outcome, particularly they can intentionally not perform up to standard, does something they get they profit from it and a bunch of people place bets on that outcome and Mm -hmm. people profit all over the world from it
1: right and what's interesting about about the the black Sox scandal is you know often these movements will happen from you know will be connected to organized crime right you'll have sports betting happening organized crime will be connected to the sports sports betting you know, the crime syndicates will connect two players and then get the players through financial motivations or, you know, sometimes other motivations to, you know, change the outcome of a game. What's interesting here is I was reading, um, I think it was in The New York Times, kind of like in a look back, I guess it was a few years ago at the 100th anniversary of the scandal, the betting scandal actually originated with the players. On the White Sox, they a couple of them actually like basically wanted more money and hatched a conspiracy and started going like they started the idea and started going around Mm. to gamblers to try to see who would pay them money to throw the World Series. It's like, what well, that is the, the lowest of the low. It's like not even like you're it's like, oh, crazy. maybe, maybe I'll do this. You know, if you pay me enough, it's like, no, no, please pay me. And I will throw the sporting integrity of the biggest competition in baseball. Like that is an insane situation. And it took, mm-hmm. you know, it took a lot. It took basically the image of Babe Ruth for baseball
0: to recover as a legitimate sport. It's a really interesting thing because you couldn't imagine in today's sports market someone, you know, so being being so dismissive of their sports championship, mm-hmm. like that, you know. And maybe that's part of just like the kind of the the mythology and the the of of the you know the championship now that it's become this big like legendary thing. But I just you know I couldn't imagine someone, you know, like like for example, James Harden just took a pay cut. Mm-hmm. To try to help his team win a championship, he was like, pay me less money so we can win. Like there's just I think it's just a, a difference in mindset that would not be the case in in sports today.
1: Well, so that that kind of leads us to one of the big um, points of where match fixing is prevalent. Uh, and that is that in the modern era, so I was reading uh, like a Europol police report. Uh, On how match fixing in sports works ahead of this to try to like wrap my mind around how the criminal activity works and also watched a uh, Tifo video on YouTube, which I will put on our social media because it's worth seeing Um, Essentially match fixing is much more prevalent in in the modern day in basically lower leagues that have less money flowing through them and less likelihood of players succeeding long term in at a high level in sports um, so match fixing is super prevalent in like right now, I think it, soccer is the most prevalent sport where match fixing happens just because it's you know prevalent all over the world. And it's very prevalent in, you know, lower division teams across Europe, especially in Eastern Europe and especially in Africa. And that happens because, you know, players are making in a league like the NBA or the English Premier League they're making so much money that it's not really worth it for them, except in very extreme cases for them to really jeopardize that by trying to figure out match fixing. Like the amount of money that you're going to make by potentially throwing a game isn't really comparable. Like you will still make a lot of money obviously, but it's not really comparable to the guaranteed salary that you have as a player who's performing at the top of his game in the NBA. Right. So it's just, it's, there's less of a, worthwhile payout for them but a player you know in a 1919 baseball league or you know in a team in africa that isn't making a lot of money you know
0: they're that much more likely to desire to be part of the scheme yeah just to clarify what i said you know i, I use james harden as an example and he ma- he took a pay cut so that he only receives 68 million dollars over two years <laughs> right that, So, so that, but, uh, that, that kind of proves your point there so just to add that
1: yeah, yeah, I think it so that's you know that's an important point to notice in that you know you have when money is more scarce these schemes become that much more likely.
0: Yeah, and another group of people who you know don't make as much as the top end athletes and who you might argue have even more control over the game's outcome are referees. Mm-hmm. And I think the the two really really big examples of match fixing in the 21st century both involve referees one in German soccer and one in NBA basketball these are the two most prominent cases Uh, based on our level of knowledge John do you want to do the soccer one then I'll do the basketball one it sounds like a plan Um, so (laughs) (laughs) so there is I was reading about
1: this one a little bit of, of Wikipedia reading of Guardian reading in 2005 there was a very controversial situation in the Bundesliga where the a second division referee named Robert Heuser um, turned out to be in the pocket of a Croatian like crime syndicate in essence. Um, Milan Sapina was one of a trio of Croatian brothers who were running a two million euro betting scheme. Um, they basically got this referee to change the outcome of games, you know, award penalties, um, to impact games, you know, make all kinds of different calls over a series of games, um, and eventually. You know ref some other referees clued authorities in as far as i understand um to the fact that there was very suspicious refereeing going on uh he was eventually caught and the situation you know came to a close but it and he was i believe he was put on trial yeah he was jailed for two years and five months for fixing matches um being found guilty of fraud rigged games uh and it was the biggest match fixing scandal in Germany uh, for more than 30 years Um, and it came back into the public eye because I think it was a year or two ago there was a game where one of Hoyser's linemen uh, was the referee for uh, a game that Jude Bellingham was playing in and there was a controversial decision in that game and Bellingham basically said to the media afterward you know you're going to trust the decision of someone with this kind of history making Mm -hmm. decisions. And he got Mm -hmm. in very large trouble, right, for calling a referee's judgment into question in that way. But with, you know, you see, like, flashes in those moments of where even players are questioning the competitive integrity of the games that they're sometimes in at times. And it just goes to show, you know, how even at the top level of sports, right, there's always the potential for, you know, if not even the, the actual match fixing itself happening, at the very least, the suspicion of it happening,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that um, the most common example in America is, in recent years, is Tim Donahy, mm-hmm. who was, uh, he wasn't, unlike your example, John, he wasn't working with a, a crime syndicate or a, or a mafia, he was just working with a bookie because he was placing bets, the referee himself was betting mm-hmm. on NBA games, including games that he did referee. So, you know, it brings into question the integrity of the calls he was making, the the amount of control that a referee actually has over the outcome of a game. You might think, oh, that's pretty marginal, but, you know, every free throw matters. Like every foul shot matters. You know, that kind of. So, to what extent that a referee does have an impact over a game, Tim Donahue was betting on a game and then going to be a referee of that game. In Tim Donahue's case, he was arrested. And convicted, and is, was sentenced to 16 months in jail as the result of what he did. So, um, that's kind of the the more recent example. There was a there was a podcast called Whistleblower that came out in 2020 that kind of brought that story back into the forefront of American consciousness.
1: Yeah. So, what's interesting about that is basically a lot of times match fixing will kind of be broken up into those into kind of two cate- those two categories of either crime syndicates. Um, trying to fix things for their own, you know, betting markets, or... Like Peaky Blinders. Or like Peaky Blinders, exactly. (laughs) Or for individual actors betting on their own actions on a small scale, right? So this is something that happens in eSports, actually, and both of those things happen in the modern day on a regular basis. Uh, I was reading a story in The Guardian about this, you know, interestingly enough, Match fixing is very much prevalent. You know, obviously, there's a huge both in the U.S. and in East Asia. There are huge esports markets, and there's also huge online betting markets. Um, and so, you know, much of the online gambling around esports happens in Asian betting markets now. And there is an estimate that illegal betting in esports could be worth over two billion dollars. In essence at this point, which is quite a lot of money, right? And basically there have been high profile instances of games being thrown, including a South Korean champion um, in StarCraft II, which I've never played. Um, but one of like the best players around was arrested and he was sentenced to 18 months in prison, bent for life from wow. South Korean esports for throwing matches. Um, and so it is mm. something that happens, you know, on a high level as well as a low level, um, but again, a lot of these instances happen in lower-level esports because you know there's a lot of money to be made in esports in at the top pro divisions, and so again that kind of creates a little bit of a less likelihood of you trying to participate in that kind of illegal activity when you're at the top of your game, um, which kind of points us in toward you know basically the actual I guess machinery of how match fixing works, right? I always you know, kind of have the imagery of, uh, you know, like we talked about with like Peaky Blinders or Mafia movies where, you know, you're operating your, your horse race tracks or whatever and you're taking bets and trying to like rig the outcome of races and whatever, depending on where you are. Um, but in the modern
0: yeah, world, with, you with know, the Black Sox, sorry, when, like part of that imagery with the Black sock scandal, a part of it was literally money being shoved in envelopes under hotel room doors. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of how we think of it. Right. Which
1: is incredible. You know, it's like that that very like old school feeling. Right. And now everything's online. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of it is uh, because uh, roughly 65 percent of the world's betting takes place in East Asian markets, especially in China. And so a lot of these illicit activities happen through Chinese markets um, where you'll have Chinese or Russian crime syndicates basically running schemes, connecting to clubs where you'll have like a top down approach where money kind of is funneled from the top of a crime organization sent to intermediaries who then make connections to soccer clubs or, you know, baseball teams or cricket clubs or whatever. Uh, and you'll be running the betting independently of, you know, whatever the match fixing is happening. The betting will happen. Then you'll fix some kind of outcome, whether it's an entire game, which takes a lot more people or, you know, a certain like sub outcome um, and together then, you know, you go rake in the money from unsuspecting betters, which is, you know, it's a, it's a similar process. Just it just happens much faster um, than, you know, it would have happened with the uh, the White Sox all those years ago. But the 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 general machinery of what's happening is still very much the same, which is crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, thinking about that, the, the fake Indian Cricket League, it was so – the technology made it so that they could literally receive a bet while the game is going on, and then in a matter of seconds, walkie-talkie to, to the umpire to change the outcome. Right. You know, as the game is going on, they can change the outcome of the game depending on how bets are coming in. That's, that is a level of, you know, second-to-second, minute-to-minute response time that is possible now. Uh, Given given the 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 internet and the interchange of money online and the communication online
1: Mm -hmm. One thing that was interesting that I learned that I had no idea happened before um, that again happens in places like Africa where there's less money rolling around a regular thing that happens is Chinese syndicates will basically create front companies um, and then approach because what you need right to say to throw a soccer game um, is you need if you're not going to like buy the whole team out because that obviously requires a lot of work you are going to try to get certain members of the team on board with the scheme like what happened with the white Sox, um, mm-hmm. and it's much easier to do that if you have someone planted within the organization who is kind of running the scheme from the inside so what these crime like crime organizations will do is they'll create front companies and then basically approach teams and say, Hey, we uh, want to be involved in this team, say in Africa somewhere. Um, we will offer you a sponsorship if you hire this coach or buy this player or hire this executive. Money team says, I will take this money. This is great. Hire coach. Coach then, you know, immediately begins, you know, operating at this club while trying to throw results or alter results in certain ways. They'll then make all the money they can from this team and then when they've decided that it's time to move on to the next team, they will then suddenly cut their shirt sponsorship or whatever however they're sponsoring the team. They'll suddenly cut the sponsorship with the team, then create a new front company and move on to the next team. And the process just continually cycles over and over. So a lot of these sponsorships that you might see with smaller clubs and obviously not all of them, but you know, if there's suspicious activity happening with the team and they have a strange sponsor, it may very well be that like it is a literal mafia ring that is on this shirt's team on this team shirt.
0: I have a really, really good joke here about the quality of coaching recently at Manchester United, but I don't want to besmirch <laughs> Ralph Rennier's <laughs> reputation. <laughs> <laughs> He's been bought by the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> no, that is that is absolutely fascinating. That's you know, and again, that's the kind of thing that we wouldn't see if you followed mm-hmm. the top leagues. You know, you're not gonna if you're a Premier League fan, you're not gonna ever know about that. This is this is deep, deep, deep down into the tiers of soccer where where these kind of things can go completely unnoticed, mm-hmm. but and happen without as much oversight or or, or image on it. So that's that's but. But the gambling world does run deep. The idea that there's a market for, like, we talked at the top about Russians who just wanted to gamble on anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so they just they were willing to gamble on this fake cricket league just because there's this need to bet. And we've now with online betting, you can bet on eighth tier soccer or anything you want, really. Either you can go as low into the professional sports world as you want to find to find things to bet on. And that's that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm operating entirely from memory here, so this is not fact-checked in any way. But I'm pretty sure I remember during the pandemic, what was happening uh, when sports all shut down initially was a couple things. One was that a lot of people started betting on esports because that was the only thing that was mm-hmm. still happening. Um, and the other was that I'm pretty sure, first of all, once like any sports started returning, uh, they would literally bet to so just soar in for the most random things like Belarusian soccer. Um, But the other thing that happened, I'm pretty sure, and again, this is not fact checked, but I'm pretty sure that betting companies tried to basically like that there were like people betting on games that weren't actually happening at all. Not even like this, like a simulation, but that like there would be results. that would be like streamed out to people that like were from games that had all been canceled. Uh, But like people weren't aware of that. I don't I. I'd have to like double check back mm-hmm. and look at that, but i'm pr- I, I have a memory of that happening at some point and being
0: intrigued by that that's you know like that's like that makes me like could you bet on like a computer simulated outcome of a hypothetical game mm-hmm. like how 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 far can this can this go? have we even reached the limits the, the answer is probably no, we probably haven't most likely not John we're we're kind of coming to time here, but I, I think there's one more thing we want to talk about, which is you know how can we ensure as sports betting becomes legalized, like how can we trust sports? What are the parameters that we need? You know, we talked about recently Calvin Ridley being mm-hmm. suspended um, for for placing bets on an NFL game while he was injured uh, or while his team was on buy. Um, you know, everyone talks about Pete Rose as a big example in in more modern times. And now, as this wave of legalized sports betting is becoming. Uh, more prominent what, what are kind of your thoughts and I have some thoughts as well about things what how do what, what are the things that need to happen to make sure that we can trust the sports that we're seeing on TV are fair and above board right well I think I think part of the issue
1: is that you know in Europe this has been legalized for a long time so the issues that we've discussed whether from like the European soccer leagues or anything like that um, are you know situations that they've had to deal with and you know, I, I do think in a similar way to, you know, the way we were talking about the Premier League, I think that the level of competition that most of our like top level sports are at means that I'm questioning them a little bit less, even as legalized sports betting becomes more and more prevalent. Um, but I do think that we have to have the same level of awareness, you know, that especially with lower things like. As college betting increases, I think that's something that I would be concerned about, quite honestly, um, uh-huh. almost more than any other scene in American sports. Low-level college sports is something I can imagine becoming a, a high-targeted area just because of the, the how badly regulated everything is and how much less money players are making.
0: Yeah, I, I think the two things that you want to be able to eliminate, in my mind, are match-fixing and um, insider information. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so in terms of match-fixing, I think Pete Rose is is an interesting example as someone who bet on their own games, but only like for them to win, Mm -hmm. which you really can't match-fix yourself into victory. All you can do to win is do the best you can, which in theory you should be doing whether or not you have money on the line or not. So. Again, from an image standpoint, I understand the Pete Rose Lifetime ban. I understand why you would say, you know, athletes can't bet on their league at all. I Mm -hmm. I do get that, but I do feel like there is a difference between a referee betting or someone betting on themselves to underperform, which is something you can control, as opposed to betting on your own success, which should just be your best effort anyway. So I I think there's a difference there. In terms of insider information— again, I think there's a bit of a double standard here and it's really hard to figure out how to solve this because I think insider information was kind of where the Calvin Ridley suspension came from. He wasn't mm-hmm. participating in those games. I don't think he was betting on his own team. Uh, he, was betting on, he, was. Or, he was betting on other NFL games and I would imagine that part of the suspension there was, oh, well, these are your friends. You might be in contact with them to know mm-hmm. insider information, which I think might be true, but people have insider information all the time, right? Like, how is, you know, if I'm Calvin Ridley and I talk to someone and I find some insider information, how is that different than, oh, I'm, the, I'm, I'm Baker Mayfield's neighbor and we don't talk, but yesterday I saw Baker Mayfield walking his dog with a cast on his arm. And mm-hmm. so I'm gonna go bet on the Panthers to lose because I, I have this insider information about Baker Mayfield's injury status, this is hypothetical, that right. other people don't have. Like, there's no way to stop something like that, right? Like, I Mm -hmm. I think that's where it gets tricky is if you're a neighbor or a family friend, someone who's completely anonymous to the general public, but you know Mm -hmm. someone who's in the NFL, you can get insider information, and that's very, very hard to regulate. It's easier to single out, oh, well, you're an active player, so obviously Mm -hmm. you have insider information. But other people, family friends, neighbors, they do too.
1: Right. I think... I think that is important, obviously, but I think you know the the league's most important task, and probably why they're less like there's less of a drive to regulate that, is the league's task primarily is to make sure the is that is to make sure that competitive integrity is preserved, right? And with That's all right. these circumstances image. that we've talked about, right? You know, if your image is sullied even a little bit by a player placing bets on the league, you know. If for a second things are called into question, immediately we have all of these issues we've discussed, you know, coming out of the woodwork, uh, and that is probably the most detrimental thing for a league's image, as we saw in the nineteen nineteen scandal.
0: Yeah, I guess if, if 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 image is the number one thing, I guess it would be nice if the sports just kind of were the sports and didn't have official betting partners, right? Or things which, like that, yeah, like is a little bit strange. They already, you know, the leagues are in bed with the gambling companies, they just won't Mm -hmm. let the players be. Which is fine, but it'd be, your image would be a little bit more uh, stainless if you uh, just kind of stayed neutral completely and just let the gambling happen almost outside your bubble.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that would make the most sense. I think sports taking gambling money is definitely suspect in and of itself. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Without without a question, you know, I, do I think that the NFL is, you know, being – its outcomes are being shifted by gambling money? I don't think so. But is it possible when so much money is coming is, from is gambling there model, companies?
0: Yeah, is the existing model that such which it could become possible, even if it's yeah. not happening now? Is it, yeah.
1: like, I'm not saying it is happening, but I'm saying is it possible that when something weird happens mm-hmm. – that it's been dictated by someone that is
0: not, you know, just fair play on the field. Yeah, it is very much possible. Yeah, I mean, people talk even before gambling, it was just kind of like, people would talk about, you know, leagues wanting certain types of players to be in the NBA Finals. Like, why does LeBron get mm-hmm. all the calls? Even yep. if gambling's not involved, you, you just, you want, LeB- there's a league interest in having LeBron James in your NBA Final. Mm-hmm. And that becomes obviously when there's when the league has financial interests that obviously goes beyond even okay TV ratings will be higher if if Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl,
1: right? Which is good for your league and makes you more money, right? So you know I, I I do think you know I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think you are a conspiracy theorist either. I think we try no. to we try to steer no. clear of those things, you know. But in this kind of circumstance, there's enough data collected to say and especially given what we know of a lot of sports leagues, you know, it's not like we trust Rob Manfred or Roger Goodell, you know, <laughs> to any particular sure. extent. Right. Sure. You know, do I think that they're corrupt? Yeah. Do I think that they're fixing games? Probably not. But, you know, are, is there always the possibility of that, that? And do I trust their character? Yeah. I don't trust their characters. So, you know, I, I'm never, I'm never fully convinced by any of the, uh, the administration in these in these leagues
0: yeah i I think if there is any room for allowing players to gamble or i i think the answer is probably not but if Mm -hmm. there was an avenue for that i think it would be games where you're not participating in so the calvin the, the calvin ridley type of example where you know could he make a call to his friend on another team yeah but like i said insider information about you know injuries or other things can happen all over the place like wasn't it um who was it? A barber who broke the story about... Um, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It was a, a wine store, a clerk at a wine store who broke the story about Patrick Mahomes' big contract extension because... Really? Um, yes, because chiefs, someone from the chiefs came in to buy bottles of champagne. And then the, the, the clerk contacted... Someone from the NFL to to, to announce that 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 uh, Patrick Mahomes was going to sign a big contract. That's incredible. So like again, that kind of information just happens all over our daily lives, and people can use that to profit on gambling. You know, oh, I saw, I saw Kyler Murray. He looked like he was wearing an ankle brace. Let me go bet on mm-hmm. the the Cardinals opponent. That kind of thing can happen all over the place. But I do think that you're right and. I think the leagues know that the most important thing is the, the integrity of their reputation when it comes to the fairness of their sport. Because right. if sports aren't fair, they're not sports, they're just a reality TV it's show. They're not even a reality TV, yeah. they're, 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 a, they're a scripted TV show. Right. They're just television, and so yep. they're the WWE, basically. Any other thoughts on this, John? We've, we've covered a lot here. Yeah, I think, I think we should let the
1: listeners go, honestly. Okay, well, we're, thank we're you guys so
0: much. Yeah, this was a fun topic. I really enjoyed it. Um, I know we've touched on parts of gambling before, but I don't think we've done talked about match fixing mm-hmm. in its entirety before. So this was really, really fun to do. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. Check out the social medias, both for a link to that video from John, pictures of my new dog from me, um, as well as information about this podcast and what we've got going on. We'll be back next week with a podcast. Um, we'll continue to talk about the intersection of sports and culture as they do continue to intersect. Um, I, I now will. I will no longer make a commitment to covering any of Marvel's things because I, I can't commit to my partner here watching <laughs> I just I just can't make that commitment to you anymore. I've, I look, I just don't look, know what to say anymore. I can't anymore. commit to it either. I'll be frank.
1: <laughs> I can't commit to it either. <laughs> 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 I have watched the Star Wars content that has come out. I will say okay, that you, but okay. when I'm watching Peaky Blinders, I
0: can't be bothered with Marvel. No, oh. hey, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> well, I hope you. I hope that you all continue to be well and be safe, and we'll talk to you later. All right, cheers, guys.